0: 8474. Let us pray together. Father, we are thankful for the promises of your word that uh, Jesus Christ will save, protect, preserve his people, and will use them to glorify his name. And so we gather uh, to seek your blessing. Uh, We gather to listen to your word, and we gather rejoicing in your great grace for us. So be with us and bless us, we pray, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It is our great honor to have with us uh, today uh, Dr. Stephen Nichols, president of Reformation Bible College in Orlando, Florida. Um, He's trying to get used to uh, being in flat country, he said, uh, having spent many years at Lancaster Bible College in Pennsylvania and the beauty of uh, that part of the world. Uh, He's now serving as president of the college, teaches uh, history there, and shows that he's uh, amongst the amazingly wise and good people of the earth. Um, uh, He's written on church history and uh, particularly on the Reformation and he's undertaken this uh, remarkable task of helping to lead and direct uh, a new reformed college and we're very, very thankful to have him here with us. So we welcome Steve to speak in chapel this morning.
1: It is my pleasure to be with you. This is my first time uh, on your campus And uh, any opportunity I get to California, I take. I just love California, the sagebrush, the mountains, and above all, the freeways. So it's a real pleasure for me to uh, be here, uh, bring you kind greetings from not only Reformation Bible College, but your good friends at Ligonier. And I can't think of a more urgent moment to be in the business uh, that we are in of educating uh, the leaders of the next generation in the great truths of scripture and in the great truths of the historic reformed faith. Consider you all brothers in arms and it is my pleasure and privilege to be with you and to bring God's word to you this morning. The Text uh, that I've chosen to look at is 1 John chapter three and the first three verses of 1 John. While you are turning there, I find this to be a fascinating study in the to be verb. There are a number of instances of the to be verb in 1 John chapter three and these first three verses. See if you could find some of them as we look at this text together. Hear then the word of God see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be, has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is God's true and authoritative word, and may we receive it as such this morning. Let's ask God's blessing on our time. Father God, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for the beauty of these verses. We are grateful for the great truth that these verses convey. May you give us wisdom and insight beyond our understanding and beyond our experience And to these great and precious truths of who we are as your children. We ask your blessing upon us this day. You are a gracious God. We thank you for your faithfulness to us and your graciousness. May we even experience that now as we come to this nourishment of your word. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Did you notice the uses of the to be verb? There's at least two of them in here. This passage has to do with who we are in the present tense, and this passage also has to do with who we will be in the future tense. But as we look at those two usages of the to be verb, they raise two more usages And the one is who we were. If this passage is talking about who we are, it brings to mind very quickly, very almost palpably, who we were. It's helpful to remember that. It's helpful to remember that. This passage also speaks to, and I think fundamentally it speaks to this, it speaks to who we are becoming. And so that is the focus that I'd like to spend the little time that we have together on, who we are becoming in light of who we used to be, but who we now are, and who we will be someday. So first, who we are, and what a wonderful truth this is. We are the children of God. Do you remember what you used to be? You used to be a child of wrath. It's hard for us to put our heads around that sometimes, even as Reformed. This is our hallmark. Total depravity. If there's anyone who knows how bad we are, it's Reformed people. But don't we forget it sometimes? Or don't we sort of anesthetize ourselves into how bad we really were? We were children of wrath. We were by nature sinners, we were by nature enemies, we were by nature aliens from God, from his love. We stood outside the pale of God's love. And so John, as he comes to this passage, cannot even use words to describe it, can he? See what kind of... Of love can't even describe it this is the child on the playground well I'm the most well I'm the mostest I'm the best I'm the bestest this is the higher than bestest love what kind of love can't even give it a proper adjective what kind of love the father has given to us not a love in the abstract not a love that's just simply a declaration but in this case it was a love that was a demonstration it was a love in the concrete that the father sent his beloved son so that we who were his enemies and we who were children of wrath could now be his children And so it's as if John has to pause. And so we are. That's who you are, a child of God. This, I think, is fundamental to our identity. I know you're all theologians. You know therapy is bad. Theology is good. But there is something to thinking about our self-identity. And what is at the center of that for us is that we are God's children. And if that is true, and it is, how does that not give shape and meaning to all of the particulars of who we are and what comes into our life? We were children of wrath we are children of God it was a long ago movie I thought it was a great movie very reflective I think of American culture Jack Nicholas was the key character and there was a moment where he is in the therapist's waiting room and he has his psychoses, and he's looking around the room at a people full of psychoses, and he stands up in the midst of them and he says to them what if this is As good as it gets and he just plunged all those people deeper into their (laughs) psychosis apart from the gospel is that not a reality what if this is good as it gets but with the gospel we who were are now transformed The ultimate transformation. Most people look in the mirror. They don't like what they see. And not just the physical appearance. The metaphor of the mirror. They don't like what they see. Everything else just changes things by degrees. But the gospel transforms us at the very center of our being. And then from that center of our being radiates out to every sphere of our life. Make no mistake about it. Who are you? You are child of God. You're a child of God. John goes on to say something that's very interesting, and I, I, you think this seems out of place. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. It seems like you could take that sentence out and read the rest of this and not miss a beat. You could go right from, and so we are beloved, we are God's children now. So what does that sentence that the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him, what does that sentence contribute to our understanding here of these uses of the to be verb? And the answer is rather simple, that this is an identity that transcends the cultural predilections, and this is an identity that transcends the cultural shall we say what it means to sit at the cool table culturally so if you were in the first century and you wanted to stake your identity what would you say I'm powerful it's a culture that prized the powerful didn't it disdain the weak you would say uh, If I wanted to sit at the cool table in first century Rome, I would say something like, uh, Who am I? I can snap my fingers, and any pleasure I desire will be brought to me. Are those the things that the Greco-Roman world valued and treasured, and are those the people they looked up to? But someone who says my, as Colossians, Paul tells us in Colossians, My identity is in Christ. It's foolishness to the Greeks, isn't it? And so this identity that means so much to ours of who we are as a child of God means so little to the world. It doesn't even make sense to them. The reason why the world does not know us was that it did not know him. Perhaps there's another reason, and I think it ties into the word, the end, the purity. That as God's children, that's an identity marker, isn't it? That as God's children, that is an identity marker that trumps all other identities. And so we are to live differently. And so we are to be differently. We take our cue from Christ. The world does not understand that. The world doesn't get this. And so the world uninvites us to the cool table, doesn't it? Well, not only do we have who we are, John repeats it in verse 2, beloved we are God's children now, we also have who we will be. And this comes in verse 2, we shall be like him. Isn't that wonderful? All these frustrations that we have with ourselves, don't you get frustrated at yourself? The slow rate of progress of our Christian growth, doesn't it frustrate you? Our lackluster love, The poet Edward Taylor, New England colonial minister, labored quietly about 30 miles away from Northampton, Massachusetts where Edwards was a few decades before, left behind reams of poetry, Edward Taylor evenings before communion Sundays he would sit by his fire when his family had gone to bed and he'd write out poems one of the poems it strikes me that the fire was going out and he grabbed the bellows and he would blow upon the fire and it would sort of bring life back to those coals and the fire would reignite Taylor's I think doing this and he writes in his poetry that that's like his heart isn't it the, the coals that sort of grow cold. And then he says, oh, chilly love that I have for my Savior. And he chastises himself. Don't you do that. And so we take great comfort in the idea that someday we will be like him. These imperfections of ours, these Chilly hearts of ours, these uh, tendencies to wander, as the psalmist, or the hymnist rather put it, prone to wander, fade away, and we will be in our glorified state. Jonathan Edwards, I know he's your favorite historical figure, Dr. Godfrey, that's why I'll keep invoking his name. Jonathan Edwards says, in heaven we will be unclogged. I love that word. It strikes me as some big cosmic Drano that gets poured through us. (laughs) Don't you get frustrated by the clogs in your life? And someday we will be unclogged. And we will be like him. Aren't these two beautiful truths to hang your hat on? We are God's children now. And we will be like him then isn't that beautiful but what about in between I think John references this at verse 2 I love these eight words what we will be has not yet appeared can I suggest something to you I think those eight words could be absolutely crucial To not only understanding your own life. I think those eight words could be absolutely crucial to parenting. I think those eight words could be absolutely crucial to marriages. And most of you, as your mission is, are preparing for pastoral ministry. I think those eight words are absolutely essential to a proper orientation for you. For your pastoral ministry, and for all of us for the ministry that God has before us. Let's unpack on all three of these levels. What we will be has not yet appeared for us. This gives us two poles, I think. One is patience with ourselves. We we grow impatient. Have you ever had an injury? And the doctors lay out for you or the physical therapists lay out for you a course of recovery. What do you want to do? You want to skip ahead, don't you? And sometimes you can do that. And there's no negative consequence. But sometimes you can do that. And you overdo it. You get a little overzealous in your recovery. And what happens? Sort of sends you back because we are, by nature, impatient people. Hence, how much I love your freeways, we are, by nature, impatient people. That's one pole to navigate. But you know there's another pole to navigate. Because this, I need to be patient with myself, can very easily slip into giving ourselves too much slack and making excuses for ourselves. And so while we are not yet we will be, we should be in the process of purifying ourselves. There's a lot of theological debate. I get that. I get the debate between the grace and law. You know what the tragic consequence of all this is? I'm concerned about a rising generation that really does not care much about sanctification and has a warped understanding of sanctification. The scripture calls us to purity, calls us to be purifying ourselves. Yes, there's grace. Yes, God is forgiving. Yes, we are all broken people in need of grace and forgiveness. But we are also called. Are we not called to sanctification? Are we not called to holiness? Are we not called to purity and to purify ourselves in a dark and decadent world? It's probably inaccurate to make analogies between our century and the first century, but I think we're getting closer in American culture the first century than we ever have been. And part of that proximity is cultural decadence. We're surrounded by it. A barbarism has overtaken our entertainment. A sheer lack of any boundaries of proper relationships has overtaken even the way we casually interact with each other. We are quickly losing the ability to be embarrassed as a culture. How important is it for us to take these words of 1 John seriously? Purify ourselves. Purify ourselves. Yes, you're not what you will be, but you are in the process of becoming what you will be, and you will be pure. So be being pure. You know what Edwards says? Heaven is a world of love, therefore, the way to heaven is a way of love. Heaven is a world of holiness. Therefore, the way to heaven is a way of holiness. How is that not true? How is that not true? It's a isn't it? Being patient with ourselves and recognizing. But also, there's a call here to purity. How about for our family, when I see my kids, I have to remind myself, what they will be has not yet appeared. What they will be has not, I have a 13-year-old, no idea what goes on in the head that makes the decisions he makes. And what he will be has not yet appeared. I just have to keep telling myself that. Trust me, I think this will go a long way as a parent in a marriage we will be has not yet appeared couldn't we stand to be more patient with each other and these relationships and then this third relationship that many of you will be in this pastoral relationship how important is this we just had a big conference at our place I wish you had been there dr. Godfrey conferences are always great when dr. Godfrey is there because we have references to the Dutch I did make a number of references to the canons of Dort so that you would be there in spirit if not there in body. But I quoted it in English, not in the Latin. We had um, MacArthur with us, and there was a moment where MacArthur and R.C. had a sort of special question and answer session. It was a very precious moment to see these men who had been each five decades of faithful ministry. And the question was put to both of them What would you tell your younger self if you were starting out in ministry? My ears perked up. I thought that was a great question. What Dr. MacArthur said I tell myself to be patient, more patient with my congregation. That's what I would tell myself. He went in there, guns blazing. I'm going to get them right. If it kills them, <laughs> I'm going to get them right. I wish I'd been more patient with them, is what he said. There's polls here. I get that. There's a balancing act here. I get that. Between having expectations and putting before people obligations, Oblig- demands. This is You know this. You know why the people don't like the Bible. It has nothing to do with the intellectual arguments. You know that. It's what this book demands of us. That's why people don't like this book. That's why they do, they hide behind the intellectual arguments. Why do we neglect this book as Christians? We know better, why do we neglect it? You, you can't read anywhere in this book without it making demands upon you. There's always, that, there's always the putting before us the obligation. There's always the expectation. There's always the purify yourself. By the way, as God is pure, that's a huge obligation. That's a huge obligation. But what we will be has not yet appeared. What your congregation will be has not yet appeared. Be patient with your congregation. Help them get there with patience. You know, the truth is, this passage highlights for us What is the ultimate reality for all of us? The love of God. How important it is to remember who we were, who we are, who we will be, and who we are becoming. And all of this flows from the love of God. Well, I've invoked the name of Edwards as penance, I will invoke the name of Luther. 1518, you know he's engaged in his Heidelberg theses and the debated Heidelberg, which if Luther were alive, he'd probably ask us to stop paying so much attention to the 95 theses and start paying attention to the 28 Heidelberg theses. The love of God does not find, I think this is one of the most beautiful sentences in all of theological literature, Clearly one of the most beautiful sentences Luther ever wrote. Love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. The love of God loves sinners, evil persons, fools and weaklings in order to make them righteous, good, wise, and strong. Rather than seeking its own good, the love of God flows forth and bestows good. Therefore, sinners are attractive because they are loved. They are not loved because they are attractive. Thus Christ says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the love of the cross, born of the cross, which turns in the direction where it does not find good, which it may enjoy, but where it may confer good, upon the bad and needy persons and such were some of us but now we are his children let's pray our Father and our God we are grateful for this text this beatific vision of what someday will be what a wonderful hope that is What a wonderful idea that is to latch on to when we are perplexed and challenged, when we grow impatient, when we feel overwhelmed for the task. Pray for these students especially. Help them not to be overwhelmed by their studies here, to feel as if they're drowning but to recognize that what they will be has not yet appeared. Help us all as we engage with the ones we love and the ones you put in front of us to minister to, to remember that what they will be has not yet appeared. We long for that day. We ask for your grace to sustain us until then. And pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.